Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Before Drudes joins me, let me tell you that golf is back, not just at a PGA Tour level, but for you and me on the weekends. And if you're looking for the perfect place to start or even continue your golfing journey, then our friends at Future Golf are the ones for you. And with a special price in June and July for 19th tee listeners, a massive 20% off any Future Golf membership with the promo code, the 19th tee, there's been no better time to join then right now your membership includes free rounds over 100 discounted green fees australia wide a free professional lesson and x golf simulator session and of course the all important golf australia handicap and to their credit over the covid break the future golf team have added some epic new partners and are hosting amazing events right across the country once again so don't forget a brand new discounted price across June and July, 20% off for any new memberships, futuregolf.com.au forward slash join. Use that 19th T promo code for a massive 20% off any new memberships. Future Golf, play your way. Welcome back to the 19th T podcast. Nathan Drudy with you for this one. No Kieran Marsh for our recap of the Memorial Tournament. Of course, John Rahm securing another victory in his, his short but illustrious career. It's not just going to be me today, though. I am very, very pleased to be welcoming a co-host, another repeat guest to the 19th Tee podcast. You'll remember him uh, because of our appreciation society. His name is Lucas Michelle. He joins me on the other end of the line. Lucas, thanks very much for joining us. No worries, Nathan. It's uh, great to be back. I'm um, yes. looking forward to having a nice little chat to you about the golf this week. Yeah, well, it was. It was a uh, a really exciting tournament. Obviously, the Memorial, second week in a row at uh, at Jack's place there at Muirfield Village, which which you know obviously quite well, and we'll get you to dive mm. in on it. But as we always do at the beginning of an episode, I'm going to crack a beer at my end, and of course, of course, it's going to be a Gage Roads. It's going to be the single fin this week. Uh, of course, thanks to Gage Roads Brewing Co. WA's premier independent brewery for more than 15 years named after the strip of ocean that separates Rottnest Island and Frio. So there's a bit of WA trivia for you, Lucas. Next time you're over here, you'll be able there to uh, impress someone with that. No, Let's you. talk John Rahm. Uh, his fourth PGA Tour victory by three shots over Ryan Palmer. It's his fourth consecutive year with a win. And in the process, he moves to world number one. Uh, it looked, well, the wheels almost came off on, on mm. the back nine there for, for a moment for, uh, for Johnny Rahm, but uh, walks away with the trophy and a, a couple of nice milkshakes to match as well. <laughs> yeah, I can attest those, uh, those milkshakes, particularly the, uh, the butter, I think the peanut butter and chocolate ones, they're the ones to go for. I've, oh, I've had one of them before and they're fantastic. But um, <laughs> no, no, it was so good. Oh, I don't know, actually. They're just famous. I don't know. They, they just know what they're doing, I guess. But um, it is the main attraction of the clubhouse, I'd say, the, 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 the milkshakes. I think they call them the – they've got a special name for it. It's named after the, the mascot for the Oregon uh, – not Oregon, Ohio State. Um, uh, the Buckeye? Yeah, the Buckeye. That's what it's called. It's called the Buckeye Milkshake. Okay. Um, yeah, you got me there. So, yeah, no, they're great. They're great. Um, but, yeah – Obviously, a fantastic win for Ram. I did. I actually didn't realize he'd been. It's his fourth or fifth year on tour. I didn't mm. I actually hadn't realized he'd been on tour that long. So, 
No, um, well, the problem with John Rahm is that he's so young, but he looks that's true so old. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah, he does have a he's a bit of a man child. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was um, obviously an impressive impressive win. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think he held the the world amateur golf rankings number one position for longer than anyone has ever held it. I think sixty yeah. weeks. I, I looked it up. So um, he's obviously been a guy that's been playing great golf for a long time and um it was good i i don't want to jump to the point before you you get there but it was good to see that he's um sort of taking his place as well in the the world number one of the professional rankings too yeah well let's go there let's talk about the world number one yeah ranking obviously uh i I suppose it meant a lot to him obviously we could see in the in the post uh round interview that 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 did mean a lot to him Mm. um you know, as you mentioned, world amateur golf ranking before that began in 2007 and, and yeah. you know, the, only the players to reach number one in the amateur ranking and the, the OWGR, Rory, yeah. Jordan Spieth and John Rahm. So pretty illustrious company yeah. to, to be joining there. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. I mean, Rory's, I think, only about half a point, average points sort of total behind him. So it's it's pretty close but um yeah obviously takes the takes the position as world number one so i'm sure he'll be i'm sure it means a lot to him and i think we saw that in the interview as well like you said so yeah i think um i think he'll be raring to to keep his spot up there for for a long time but there's a lot of people sort of kicking out his heels so yeah yeah, that's right well i think i think it's interesting talking about john ram because he's Prior to the break, prior to the, to the players being called off, his worst finish this year was T seventeen. He'd finish. He'd had two, uh, three finishes in the top five, uh, and then we had the break, and then he came back, missed the cut at the Charles Schwab, finished T thirty three at the RBC, T thirty seven at Travellers, T twenty seven last week at the Workday Charity on arguably a, a much easier setup, and then comes out and wins the Memorial. So it was kind of, I, I, I suppose. He all the form line was, I suppose, there for, yeah. for John Rahm, but I, I overlooked him in many ways this week simply for the fact that he, uh, his best finish was T27 since the return of golf. But he's uh, he, he showed me up very much so, yeah. No, he's obviously he was, I mean, he had a, a few good wins, I think, at the back end of last year, mm. won a couple of times on the European tour, but um, he was obviously trending towards it, and it was good to see him get over the line online and 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 it like looked a little worrisome for a while there um (laughs) after he made the turn but um yeah he got there in the end and and it wasn't without sort of controversy either well that's right Uh, let's let's talk on the on the controversy so for those who don't uh know and i and i'm sure if you had your head in a bucket uh and you didn't realize what had happened today it was on 16 um and he he sort of pulled his shot into the rough and then chipped in uh, for, for, for an incredible birdie, was really fired up. And that, that really secured the tournament for him there. But uh, as our astute CBS comment, uh, commentators and, and Cameron picked up, as he grounded his club behind the ball in that heavy, heavy rough, it actually kind of rolled over or oscillated, I think mm. the correct term is, as, as going, mm. by the, uh, going by the book. Um, and yeah, he was subsequently awarded a, a, a two-stroke penalty. I suppose my question to, to you, Lucas, as a player, mm. when you're coming up the stretch like that and he was, uh, I think he was maybe four shots in front or, or whatever it was, do you want to know, I suppose is the first part to the question, but 
should you know? Should should they have told John Rahm you're going to be penalised two shots for this instead of waiting to the end of the round? It probably it's a really tough one. I mean, I think Dustin Johnson had something similar at the U.S. Open in 2016. Does that sound right? Yeah, in the, in the waste bunker. Yeah, no, no, the one at Oakmont where the ball moved on the putting green or something like that. Mm. Was, I think that's that that's about right. And they he ended up getting told there was a penalty. I think before the finish. And I think for a player, I think it's important to know the state of affairs particularly before you go down the last couple of holes. So as a player, I probably would like to know, even if it is bad news like that, that could potentially throw you off your game because certain decisions you make coming down the stretch could be affected by knowing the position where you are in the tournament. Absolutely. Um, So like if he's, if he thinks he's got a five or six shot lead going down the last, it's a little bit different than thinking he's got a, two or three stroke lead coming down the last. So he'll play the holes differently. Um, For sure. Dependingly. So I think, I think knowing that what, what is the actual state of affairs probably is important. Um, or I, personally, I'd prefer to know. And I don't think I'd be necessarily thrown off by it. I'd rather know what, I, what is actually happening. Um, but yeah, um, that, that would be my preference, but I, I'm not sure what, what his preference was or you know what the actual protocols is maybe there there's something from the pga tour that they actually have a have a protocol for that situation but um i think you raise a good point though yeah you know it, it talks about i mean if it was one shot would it have been say he was only up by one mm. shot i mean that all of a sudden that changes things it's very dramatically different. right like you've, yeah. you've still got two holes to play you've got 17 and 18 to play and yep. like, I mean, I, I would absolutely want to know. And I think that the players yeah. should probably know. Imagine if he came yeah. off winning by one stroke and then all the commentators, everyone away from the, the tent knows yeah. that he's going to be penalized two strokes and lose the tournament. Like yeah. he would look like an absolute fool on the yeah. 18th green celebrating if they didn't tell him. Yeah, no, I think I think the right thing to do probably is just tell someone that situation because, like I said, it just completely can can alter your strategy um, in yeah. playing a hole. Like if he plays safe, for instance, thinking he's a couple shots ahead, makes a par, and then or a bogey and realizes he loses, that's the worst thing in the world that you, that could happen. So, um, yeah, I think the player has to know the state of affairs, um, and that allows him to make the right decisions. And even going back one step, is it a is it a warranted penalty i mean yeah it's a tough one that one like i mean the pga tour they brought in the rule regarding hd television a couple years ago where that you know people couldn't call in after the fact but i think i think it was an obvious enough breach that they felt comfortable with calling it on ram and and as a player like i I completely understand that he might not have realized he did it either because it it is quite minor, but it still it still did happen. But yeah, it's a tough one. Like I've I've caught myself like just in practice doing things like that, mm. where you you'll put the club down, and then you'll sort of be looking at the target, and then you look back down the ball, and you've noticed it's moved slightly. So mm. I'm obviously a bit more careful when I'm playing a tournament. I probably wouldn't yep. rest the club as near the ball as he did, but um. But yeah, I could see it, it 
being completely accidental, but at the end of, end of the day, it did, it did move um, and it probably would have been noticeable enough with the human eye. So I think that was part of the reason to, to penalise him. Well, we put the call out on our Instagram page mm. was uh, John Rahm's penalty warranted and 75% came back and said, yes, it was. And I think, yeah. uh, I think ultimately it was um, under the, under the letter of the law, what you just outlined there. I think it was yeah. the right decision. Um, had the, had it have affected the result? I think we potentially could that's be having true. a very different discussion. Yeah, um, that's true. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's certainly an interesting one. And, uh, I got into a bit of a Twitter war today. Well, it wasn't even a Twitter war. It was a Twitter conversation with um, with some bloke. I don't even know who it was. Uh, I commended CBS for asking John Rahm about the penalty in the post-game interview. I thought that was actually quite good. And I, I think yeah. that's one of the things that we see in golf not enough is that that brutal honesty. And you got that reaction that was like, oh, shit, did I actually, like, have I have I broken a rule here? It was like, oh, my God. And yeah. people were, and, and this one guy was like, you know, you, you need to review your ethics and all this sort of stuff. I was like, it was a little much. For, yeah. <laughs> but, but I thought that was quite, quite good from, from, uh, from CBS to actually ask the question. Cause if they hadn't, I think yeah. people would have been jumping down their throat going, you know, yeah. what, what are you doing? And it almost looks like they're kind of sweeping something under the rug, rug sure. a little bit if they, if they don't ask it. So it's, <laughs> It's all sort of for transparency and, to, and it also shines a good light on golf in general as being that sort of gentleman's game and, mm. um, you know, the players are honest and they play by the rules and it's, it's all part of the sport. So I think it's important that, you know, you showcase that, that aspect of it as well. Yeah, for, for sure. And obviously, you know, the reaction was, was really raw and really honest. And, it, yeah. you know, the, the other thing is too, if you... You know, you allow him to go into the scorer's tent. Slugger comes over and tells him that it was a two-stroke penalty. And then mm. you get this sort of, you know, preconceived, sort of pre-prepared kind of statement from uh, yeah. a statement from him like, oh, yeah, you know, I accept mm. it or whatever. You don't get that really cool reaction. It's not as authentic, is it? Yeah, it, for it's sure. It's not the genuine reaction that, that you'd get in the scenario where the CBS presenter asks. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. It was... I commended him and uh, yeah, didn't, didn't go down overly well on Twitter, but uh, I text Kieran at one point. I said, if you get five minutes, go on there and, uh, and back me up. But uh, it didn't quite happen. But um, let's, uh, I suppose in the lead up to, to uh, Ram winning, mm. he had this on 15, he had a chance to really put Ryan Palmer away mm-hmm. and really put the, the, the result beyond doubt before we even got to 16. He, he flew the green uh, and then he had a little bump and run with, a, I think it was a wood. I think it must've been a three wood that he okay. played this little bump and run with. And I just thought that given that the speed that they were, that these greens were rolling at, like <laughs> that was a pretty ballsy move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally actually didn't say that shot, but yeah. um, having played on some pretty fast greens, Generally, the last thing you want the ball doing is rolling a lot <laughs> on yeah. fast screens. So that, that's interesting. He's gone for that one. Um, yeah. Although you know, like there's there's certainly times where that's that's the play, and it depends how much green you've got to work with, and and what the slope looks like away from you and all that. But 
Um, having not seen it, I can't judge, but I'll, I'll let you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just odd. It was just odd to see yeah. someone, you know, chipping on these, on these really quick yeah. greens, but yeah. and we'll get to the setup in a moment, but we'll keep rolling through a couple of players. Uh, someone that I put on notice back in our episode where we, we spoke about closer to or further away from success was Matthew Fitzpatrick. And he's really mm. done nothing for me, uh, back <laughs> since the return of golf, but today he came from the clouds to finish third. He shot 68 and he was the only player in the field to shoot in the 60s today, which is, which is quite a, a, an incredible feat, really, given the, the pin positions that the PJ Tour put on yeah. Twitter. They, I don't know, what was your take on them? Was it just lazy greenskeeping or, or well, strategy? I think, it's, I think it's Jack. I mean, I'd say Jack had a lot to, lot to do with those pins, but I think it, ultimately he's he's very keen to protect par and, and protect the test of his golf course. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the sheet right now and I think every pin was three or four meters <laughs> off the edge or off the front. Um, so basically nice. there was, there was no, no green to work with in most cases and you're playing well away from the pin because you just burn yourself if you <laughs> short sighted. So um, yeah, I mean, the setup looked pretty ridiculous. I think John Rahm's 75 in the final round was still one and a half strokes gained um, mm. on 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 the on the norm. That's on the normal PGA Tour field. Obviously, the the Memorial Field was a bit stronger, um, yeah. but um, you know he still outperformed a, a PGA Tour field by uh, roughly a stroke yeah. with a 75 three over. So I mean, it was. It was pretty. It was pretty uh, extreme. The setup, well, but um, a number yeah. of rounds in the eighties. I mean, Tyler that, Duncan shot an eighty-four. Um, I mean, I'm <laughs> scrolling through the list here. Adam Hadwin had an eighty-one. Yeah. Uh, Danny Willett, I think, had ten over eighty-two. So yeah. everyone really struggled. But um, I mean, we're talking about setup. Let's talk about setup. Yeah. Um, so. Obviously, two weeks in a row at Muirfield, uh, Muirfield Village, rather. Uh, last week, Workday Charity Open was obviously the easier of the two setups. We all knew that that was going to be the case. They said they were going to grow the, the rough out for this week. They were going to quicken the greens up. Mm. And, and it really, I suppose, it's, it's such a, a pat on the back to the green staff there to be able to turn that course into what was almost two different courses mm. in, in the space of a week is something quite phenomenal yeah. um i mean as someone that's been there as someone that spent time around mm. there maybe you can give us a bit of an insight into into muirfield village and and yeah what that setup would have been like being out there today yeah so i played it wasn't a tournament there but it was a tournament in um in dublin in columbus or near columbus dublin ohio in 2018 it was the trans mississippi amateur which is Basically, it's a tournament Jack Nicholas won actually in uh, when he was an amateur, and um, and yeah, I got to play the tournament in 2018 when it was up in Ohio, and played the the tournament myself and missed the cut, not at Muirfield Village, and then fortunately uh, the next day um, got to go out to Muirfield Village and um, hit some balls on the range, and then uh, we didn't actually play the golf course; we sort of ran out of time, but we went around it in a cart, so we mm. got to see it all and all 18 holes and obviously it's an incredible place. Um, I got to experience the driving range and that was incredible in its own right. It's like a 360 degree driving range that just, um, yeah, you can, you can play it from either end or any end. 
of 360 degrees basically. Um, and obviously Jason Day plays and practices there. So he, yes. he gets to use that, which is not a bad place to, uh, to work on your game. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible golf course. Um, it's always ranked in the world top hundred. Um, uh, yeah. One of the, one of the best golf courses in the world really. Um, and yeah, so Nicholas built it in, in the seventies and then hosted the Memorial tournament, I think for the first time in the 1976. So, um, and it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot since mm. they, they opened it. I think initially it was designed by um, Nicholas with a guy called Desmond Muirfield, but mm-hmm. um, or Muirhead, sorry. Yep. Yep. Desmond Muirhead. And then obviously over the years, uh, Jack's gone, gone back and as technology's changed, he's gone back and altered things mostly to make it a tougher test for the tournament. Um, mm. And yeah, I think he's actually going to go back and, make some further changes after this year i've heard i I think they might have even been uh, ripping up a green i think it was a fifth green while the while the play was still under yeah still taking place on the on the back nine (laughs) so um they're not wasting any time in uh i suppose they got a very short growing season yeah up in ohio and um and they don't want to waste any time in making the changes they're going to make but i think it's most of the changes is just adding length um because obviously the golf ball's going a fair bit further than it was in 1976 when it was built. Um, so yeah, so moving a few greens, um, adding a bit of length. Um, I think there's what's a few your, holes. What's your take on that, Lucas? Because you're obviously you're, yeah. you're in an interesting position that you are very well versed and educated in the architecture side of things, mm. and, and you have a great passion for that. But you're also a player. As well, so I mean, in one in one sense of the word, I, I'm sure that you're probably you love the distance that the ball goes because yeah. that, that suits your game really, really well. Of course, everyone wants to hit the ball further, but from an architecture perspective, we're seeing that courses are, you know, like Augusta's buying land behind 13, yeah. and you know, Jack's moving uh, tees and and greens at, at Muirfield. It's it's an yeah. interesting it's an interesting position to be in. Yeah, as a player, obviously, like, I'm chasing distance. You know, mm. if I get a new driver, I want more distance. I want more distance. But yeah. as a lover of golf and golf courses and golf architecture, I don't think it's a healthy thing for the game. I don't think more distance is healthy because what more distance does, obviously, the, the golf courses have to be longer to accommodate it, which means more land usage, more chemicals more cost more more everything it just gets to a point where less and less courses are are really financially viable or sustainable so Mm. from that perspective it's not great at all um and then in general like when a golf ball goes over 300 meters um for some of these guys like that's a long walk between (laughs) shots as well like there's a lot of time of just walking and like golf's a nice walk but I'd much prefer to be hitting golf shots rather than mm. a long yeah. way. And, and I think, I think in general, I think as the distances have crept longer and longer and longer over time, cause it's such a gradual creep. I think people have sort of gotten obviously used to that change, but I think golf would have been much more interesting when the ball only went 150 or 200 meters because mm. you're hitting more golf shots on a shorter golf course or you're hitting more golf shots in less time on a shorter golf course. So you, you're walking less in general. It's taking less time and you're hitting the same amount of shots. So you're getting more 
it's like a more efficient use of your time because you're playing more golf, golf in less time, which these days everyone's time poor. Mm. Um, it just seems to make sense to me that obviously they're not going to, they're not going to roll the ball back 40%. Um, but to me, it would make sense to, to make a golf ball go a little bit shorter than it currently is just to make sure those classic golf courses, um, not so much the Milford villages of the seventies and the eighties or that, but more the ones that were built in the twenties, thirties, um, mm. where, you know, at least probably half of the top hundred courses in the world were built in that time. They call it the golden age of golf architecture. Mm. Um, so your Royal Melbourne's, your Cypress points, Pine Valley's, all of those ones, just to make sure that those don't become irrelevant for, for not only players like, myself or you know the pga tour players but in general just everyday golfers that that want to be challenged by a golf course not just because it's got long rough and and tricked up greens that are made crazy to protect par but actually because it's playing how it was intended to play by Mm. the architect who built it yeah it's a really interesting discussion to to have Mm. because i mean like one of my favorite stops on on the tour is, is is at pebble earlier this mm. year and, and Pebble's one of the shortest courses on the PGA tour by, mm. you know, when you compare it to everywhere else that we go mm. and, and you look at some of the scores that get shot around there and it's, and it's not overly, it's not no. overly big scores. And, and for me that kind of those shorter mm. courses, but better designed yeah. uh, almost make for, for, for a lot more interesting golf than, seeing somewhere like when we went to Detroit and, and we'll touch on Bryson yeah. in, a, in a little bit, when we're at Detroit, like it's fascinating watching Bryson hit the ball 400 yards. Like that's mm. unbelievable to be able to watch mm. that. But I mean, like that's boring. Like I don't want to yeah. watch four days of golf of that happening. I want to be able to see people actually play different shots and work different shots. So, yeah. And but, I think it's important for golf as well in general. Like you want the shorter guys with, more skills around the greens and more you want a diversity in skills in golf. I think that's what part of it, what makes it interesting is that there's guys that hit it short, like Kevin Kisner or I don't know, whoever it is that hit it shorter, but can compete week on week out because they've got great short games, great putting, Mm. whatever it is. And I think that's what makes golf interesting. If, if golf was to just turn into a, a bombers fest where, you know, everyone had, 10 year careers and then they're all done because they're all injured. Like, I don't think that's, that's the right way it should, should move. hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, the other part is that we often talk about on this podcast is, is the rough. And mm. I think, you know, obviously today we saw that the rough is so beefed up at Muirfield mm. village that it is a real challenge. But for a lot of these guys out on tour, like it's just not, uh, the hmm. rough isn't a challenge like they're so good that they can just yeah bash the ball out whereas i think i think it was detroit that we were talking about hmm. a couple of weeks back and we said like there was water on the left on 15 and there was hmm. a patch of rough and so in between the fairway and the water and yeah balls weren't even going into the water because yeah. they just get caught up in the rough like yeah it's a bit silly if you yeah, just get rid of that it, that brings the water into play yeah. a lot more. it's like it's the same idea or the same concept as like short grass around greens, like on the sand belt particularly, where instead of having greens that are surrounded by rough, you've got greens surrounded by shaved down fairway grass that 
the ball actually runs into trouble rather than sticking right next to the green. Absolutely. And sometimes that's, that makes golf a lot, lot harder. And, and the other thing about rough is people say, oh, you know, to make it harder, just grow up the rough and narrow the fairways. But the problem with that is that actually hurts the shorter player more anyway because a shorter player, if, if there's narrow fairways and a shorter hitter hits, you know, 50% of fairways and a long hitter hits 30% of fairways, it doesn't really matter because the longer hitter will be hitting a lob wedge out of the rough or whatever it is. And the shorter hitter is going to be hitting a seven iron out of the rough when they go in the rough because they're still going in the rough 50% of the time. That's and right. I tell you, a seven iron out of the rough is a lot harder than a lob wedge out of the rough. <laughs> so it's kind of the concept of making courses more thought-provoking and strategic by making rough longer and fairways narrower actually almost has the complete opposite effect of bringing in um, the shorter hitters because the shorter hitters are just going to struggle more out of longer rough anyway. Yeah, well, I'm sure we're going to touch on uh, at, mm. at the very end, um, just where you're at. But one yeah. like winged foot, right? This year at the mm. U.S. Open, it, it, mm. we we saw in 2006, like that just chewed up and spat players out. I think the winning yeah. score was Jeff Ogilvie uh, plus one or something like that, which yeah. was which was great from a fan perspective. But yeah, I suppose that's one of those times where that sort of longer rough and the the narrower fairways kind of really does just it doesn't favor anyone. It just, it really just chews and spits everyone out. Yeah. And I think the, the funny thing about that, I've actually spoken to Jeff about that tournament, which um, obviously I've been very fortunate to talk about him, but talk about it to him, but it's obviously useful for me as well as mm. someone who's going to be playing there. Um, and he, he sort of said, you know, the U S opens always been a, a tournament. That's the USGA has tried to find Ben Hogan basically. They've tried to find that straight, perfect, perfect golfer, perfect hitter. Um, and the actual effect of making the rough so long and so tough and fairways narrow is it actually finds the guy with the best short game yeah. because everyone's missing the greens. So it's actually the guy that's able to get extricate himself out of the worst possible situations that comes out on top. And, and Jeff's said it himself. He said like, the best he's ever chipped you know out of that yeah. and and you, you go watch that he chipped in on on the second uh 17 or 16 chipped on, 17, chipped, think, yeah, yeah 17 um and like he was just getting himself out of jail every hole mm. um and that's basically what what it becomes when the course is set up so hard um it's not really you want it you want a golf course to be a full test of all abilities sort of in some way equally and Sometimes if you set it up too extreme, it just becomes a recovery test, which is yeah. fine, but not every week of the year, which, which it isn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just an interesting way to think about it. The, the other part with this week as well at Muirfield was, was the greens, obviously. Last week was the slower of the, the, the two weeks. Mm. Um, they were talking about it running at 13 on the stim. Uh, this week and on on Friday or Saturday, it was one of those I was watching. JT actually said, "Holy crap, these greens are slow." And then just in the next two days, they've yeah. just dried out so much, and they were they were humming mm. today. They were so mm. quick. Mm. Yeah, I've uh, I've played on greens pretty fast like that. I mean, we play every year the Marsh of the Amateurs. Yeah. Um, on the sandbar. It's normally at Royal Melbourne, but last year was at Victoria, or sorry, this year was at Victoria just because the Presence Cup was at Royal in December. Um, 
and they get scary for that event. I mean, but it's also the firmness of them. And I know Muirfield Villages look pretty firm, but mm. Royal Melbourne, there isn't a green as firm as that anywhere in the world. Um, but yeah. Having, Sounds like having, floorboards when you hit Oh, absolutely. Out. Like you hit it and the, the, the Melbourne sandbelt, there's something about the sand on the sandbelt, whatever it is, it compacts like concrete. Like yeah. in bunkers, like you'll play bunker shots and your, your club will just bounce off it occasionally. And, and it, it has the same effect on the greens. For some yeah. reason, if they dry them out enough, they literally just turn to concrete. Yeah. Um, I've got a great video on my phone of me pouring a water bottle on the greens during that tournament and just running off. And it, to be fair, it looked like, looked like Muirfield Villages had that shiny um, sort of hydrophobic look to them where you yeah. could just pour a water bottle over them and instead of soaking in, it would just run straight off the surface. <laughs> um, yeah, they looked, they looked pretty crazy by the end of the week and, and, and fair enough as well because they're ripping them up. So I guess Jack just wanted them um, wanted do them whatever you want. As possible. Yeah, <laughs> there was no, it didn't matter if they died a week later because they were in a turf bin somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, the, the, the setup was really tough, obviously, as we mentioned. Um, one man who, who managed to play quite well uh, over the course of the whole week was Jason Day. Um, mm. T4 finish for, for J Day. Back-to-back top 10 finishes for the first time in 18 months. Now, he is a member um, at, uh, up at Muirfield Village there, as, as we spoke about. So there's probably yeah. no excuse for him really to be, uh, to be playing bad. But I suppose... Um, uh, Jay Day is a player who's copped a lot of criticism, mm. particularly from Australian media in, in the past few years about returning back to Australia and whatnot. And, and wherever you see, wherever everyone sits on that opinion is mm. totally up to them. But I think, you know, <laughs> jokingly, I ruled him out of ever winning again a couple of weeks back in the hope that he would win again <laughs> uh, and that my curse might work. But Back-to-back top 10 finishes, you can't complain with that. And it was good to see him playing some, some good, strong golf uh, for, for the second consecutive week. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, the the favourite video I saw of the week was after he hit that 423-yard drive on, I can't remember the hole. I think it might have been in the second or the third round. He could barely pick up his tee. Yeah. His, his back is just seems like he's having some pretty serious issues there. And, and people like to, to poke fun of it, but there obviously is an issue there. Um, and yeah, it'd be, it, it's great seeing him playing good again, but it just makes me wonder how sustainable that is for, I mean, given that he's literally had months off to, to, to get it right, it seems yeah. like it's not right. So I wonder if there's surgery coming soon or something because yeah, he's obviously, he's obviously got to do something to, to get that in a good position for him to, to play consistently great golf again, I think. Yeah. Um, for, for not sure. to say he's not playing great, but you know, yeah. it just seems worried. It seems yeah, worrying absolutely. Like you him. saw him picking his ball up. He looks like he, he was about to yeah. propose, right? Like yeah. he, he was down on one knee. Exactly. Um, it, and it makes it really, makes it really difficult. And, and this is exactly what we said a few months back, like this layoff, if it's going to help any Aussie golfer on the tour, it's going to be Jason Day because he's going to have some time to, to rest. And you're absolutely right. Things don't look good mm. for, for Jason from a health perspective, um, but it will be interesting to, to watch it over the coming weeks. I don't think he is playing this week in Minnesota. Mm. Um, I mean, look, it would be very surprising if he was able to get up for that, but 
Um, yeah. yeah, good to see him finishing in, in T4 again. Anyway, absolutely. A couple more players before we get to uh, probably a, a part that we might spend a bit of time on, which, which is Bryson. But um, Tony Finau obviously played really well for, for the first couple of rounds and then just fell off the face of the earth in on the weekend. I mean, yeah, yeah just started 66-69 and then 73-78, you know. Um, mm. he's, a, he's an interesting character to follow is Tony. I mean, I quite like him. Um, yeah. He seems really personable, seems like a really nice guy, but we beat him up for a bloke that's got one win on the PGA tour in an opposite field event. Yeah, that's, that is true. Actually. I didn't, hadn't really thought about that. It looks to me like he's, he's definitely picked up the club head speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if it's the influence of it. I'm, I'm guessing it probably is the influence of Bryson. Mm-hmm. He was smashing it those first, well, definitely the first two rounds. I'm sure he was smashing it later in the week, but just not yeah. as straight, but um, it's probably showing the, in a way, Bryson and Tony both both struggling, I guess, later on, or not so much Bryson, but struggling through the week, particularly Tony later in the event. Uh, I just wonder how sustainable it is to hit it that straight, that long, swinging it that fast. Um, yeah. I think it's all well and good to do that. And, and, mm. and I suppose this is the point that I that's impressed me with Bryson is that he's hitting the ball so far and so straight and, and fantastic. That's really, really good, but it's mm. his approach work and work around the green and, and putting that's, uh, that hasn't dropped off. And that's why he's playing yeah. such good golf with this week, obviously being the outlier Yeah, that Tony Finau's not doing that. Like there, yeah. there's still parts to his game where he's not, you know, picking up shots. Um, and I think yeah. that's going to be the part for him to, to work. Cause I mean, like I really like him and I, I think it's mm. a, um, you know, he's, he's obviously had that one win in Puerto Rico, but mm. he plays consistently good golf all, yeah. all the time. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's point, uh, minus point zero five uh, strokes game putting, which isn't, isn't, you know, the mm. worst in the world, but it's 127th on tour. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Something to work on, I think. Yeah, I saw he, uh, actually, I follow him on social media and I saw he clocked one. To bring back the club head speed, he clocked a ball speed of 206 miles per hour, yeah. which was like, I don't think Bryson's got that quick yet. I know he's swung something like 140 miles per hour with driver yeah. club head speed, but over 200, 200 miles per hour ball speed is, uh, there's not too many guys in the world that can do that. I think the long drive guys are in the 220s. So yeah. he's only 15 miles per hour off that. And he's using a standard length driver and, and a swing that barely gets to parallel even when he's going up at, that sort of ball speed. So he's obviously a guy that has incredible athletic talent and ability. And hopefully because I like him and and because I think he's got all that potential, hopefully he can, uh, he can live up to it. I'd I'd love to see him go out there and get a few more wins and a major or two. That'd be, that'd be nice as well. Cause he seems like a great guy and um, big family guy. and, and, And yeah, just seems like a good dude. I look forward to hopefully, hopefully I can run into him at the, uh, at a couple of the majors this year. That'd be, that'd be that would cool. be nice. And then you can report back and tell us exactly yeah. what he, what he is like. Yeah. Look forward um, to it. Two more players before we, before Bryson, I know we keep bringing that up, but there's probably a fair bit to unpack Ray Bryson. Uh, let's go one of these two, Phil Mickelson. Uh, mm. I mean, I know Phil being Phil, but like he laid up on a par three. I think it was the 17th. Like that was, yeah. odd. and then he putted from 78 yards. <laughs> like 
what and then he just like didn't come off how he would have hoped and he's like oh i saw it a lot better in my head or something and then like <laughs> yeah. mean flop shot to like six inches yeah it's just phil being phil i think at this yeah. at this point in his career i think so i think it actually reminded me a little bit of um when the us open was at shinnecock where he you know he parted that putt down the hill and it was going to roll off the green and then he just ran over and knocked it back i think whenever the setups get silly or crazy and he's not right up there in contention he kind of just <laughs> likes to have a bit of fun with it and and uh and you almost make fun of the setup yeah um and that's to me that's the way i interpreted him putting from 80 yards and laying up to a very like normal sort of <laughs> a pass just i think odd, he was though. I think he, I think he just like was just making fun of the setup, and I think that's what he did at Shinnecock, and I think that's what he was doing um, this week as well. Because obviously, that those are two very extreme setups, yeah. and and I think that was Phil being Phil, and um, he was obviously out of contention and just thought, I'm going to have a bit of fun with this. Well, good on him. He's got those uh, sunglasses. <laughs> he's got all the money in the world. Yeah, he's got all the money in the world. It's quite nuts. Um, last player, uh, Jordan Spieth. Um, I mean, look, a lot of people know my thoughts on on where this is. Me and Kieran sit on very different sides of the table to where Jordan Spieth's at. But sixty third in shots gained off the tee, lost just under half a shot. He, he's still continuing to struggle with driver, but. The sad part is his game is so good everywhere else. Mm. Uh, you know, he had three over today in probably one of the most Jordan Spieth looking scorecards that you'll ever see. Six bogeys, one double and five birdies, like mm. all over the place. And, and I know that I continually bash on Jordan on this podcast, but I mean, like his potential is so high and his performance is so low. And I think that's the disappointing mm. part that I know that he can be so good and I want him to return and I want him to win, but mm. geez, it makes it hard to sit on the bus and ride for him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, it's tough. I mean, at 21, 22 years old, he was the best player in the world and mm. it looked like he was going to have 10, 15 majors to his name. Like, and, and now he's, he's really lost his, Particularly his driving. His driving was never the strength of his game, mm. but his driving is a is a problem at the moment. And 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 his irons were actually a strength of his game. No one really talked about it when he was playing great, but his approach play was incredibly good. Yeah. Um, not only his putting, um, but his approach play has fallen off as well. So it makes you wonder whether I've listened. I've actually listened to a podcast with him. He did with. Uh, I think who it was with, but um, he was basically talking about his swing and stuff. And it makes me wonder if he's should look somewhere else um, yeah. swing wise, because something's obviously gone a little off and I'm sure he's trying absolutely everything with his current coach to get it back to where it is. But it's been a long time in like for, in terms of timelines for Jordan Spieth mm. since he's played the way he played a few years back at 22 years old. So I mean, we saw a flash in the pan of it at Colonial in the first That's event true. back. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, like, you, you've probably got a better understanding of it than I do, but I feel like his technique is one thing that he needs to... Clearly, there's something going wrong, but yeah. I, I feel like the mental demons must be far more significant for yeah. him. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think his technique... If you look at his technique, there's nothing that's changed significantly um, that sort of explains what's going on. I think it's definitely 
some sort of confidence issue. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the way to fix it is to change something technically. Cause I think if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. So I think he needs to change something and, and, and hopefully that'll, that'll change, change the direction for him. But I mean, it's, it's a tricky one because he's still a good player. He's still a high level PGA tour player, but he's just nowhere near um, his potential. Absolutely. That he showed us. Absolutely. All right, let's take on Bryson. I think this is, <laughs> I put this out on uh, social media and there was a few comments waiting to, to hear my, uh, my thoughts on this. So, I mean, look, for those who don't know that, that didn't see it, essentially on uh, number 15 um, on Friday, uh, he went way left, ended up, um, yeah, on his first drop, he, he, he went for the green, which was his third shot. That went out of bounds, took another drop, went OB again, took his third drop, did the same thing, stayed in bounds, um, kind of patted the grass down a little bit before dropping, yeah. which was uh, interesting. I'm sure we'll touch on that. On his first drop, he started arguing with a rules official saying that the ball was touching a metal fence or, or close to, to the fence. Essentially, he asked for a second rule, uh, second ruling, which is absolutely fine. You, you're more than entitled to do that. Uh, he then kind of lost it and it was picked up the mic and he, he said, they're trying to give me a garbage ruling as usual and then something about can't let everything get fucked or something similar <laughs> like the second rule official rocked up basically said the same thing as the first went through the the drop procedure as i outlined above stood on the green did the saturday hacker count up to 10 put it on the scorecard uh and then after he teed off on 16 he was clearly frustrated and and after the the camera incident that we had last week his caddy walked about five or ten meters in front of him and, and blocked bryson out from from the camera it was just that. That's. I mean, look. That's the thirty-second snapshot of it. But it was, it was embarrassing for Bryson, to be honest. Like, really, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what your take on on that on that is. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that talks about his brand and 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 obviously he does a good job at selling his brand. I mean, he's a guy that's very very popular. Mm-hmm. But for a guy that talks a lot about his brand, his sooky sort of miserable childish personality yeah you know it's not the cameras hurting hurting his brand it's it's you bryson absolutely <laughs> so yeah. look in the mirror I think it, yeah exactly i think um i think he's just got yeah got to have a look in the mirror and just not be such a such a child um yeah it's it's obviously an issue and um it's it's part of his personality it's part of what makes him interesting in a way Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want him to, to lose it completely. You want him, you want Bryson to still be Bryson, but just be a little bit more mature about things and, and not be such a sook. Um, but I mean, I didn't, it's, it's two yeah. weeks in a row that we've kind of seen like brain yeah. snaps from him that, that you talk about his brand that really don't represent his brand. Well, no, at all. No, no you're right. Uh, at, at least there wasn't a, after the, the sort of, after the event sort of comment this time, I think. What was it last week? He's, he's, he said, uh, yeah, he went on that big monologue yeah. about that's where he spoke about the brand. Yeah. yeah, at least he at least he didn't do that. But uh, yeah, but he didn't I mean, address it. Like I don't know no. where that was. Like he hasn't spoken mm. about it. No, it's he doesn't take blame for anything really. Mm. Uh, it seems like it's always someone else's fault or the camera's fault or whatever it is. Um, yeah, there's no real acknowledgement of making a mistake, which is obviously yeah. not a really good shot sign of his character. But um, 
No, I mean, he's still a very, very interesting golfer to watch. And, and to be fair, it's, it's interesting to watch. I love watching him do stupid things. It's yeah. great. It's entertaining. But I know the PGA Tour doesn't like that and they try to brush it under the rug. And, but I think and this is kind of like he, this personality is kind of what golf needs, like a bit of a bad mm. boy that's kind of a gun. Mm. Absolutely. But, I mean, like they've got, they've got the bad boy who's kind of a gun, but is, is a dickhead in Patrick yeah. Reed. Like that exists already. Right. Like, but <laughs> yeah, you've got, true. you've got Bryson who, I mean, like he's had two brain farts in, in two weeks mm. and that's, and it is whatever, like he, he's, he hasn't represented his brand. Well, that's, yeah. that is absolutely fine. Mm. But like, I, I just kind of, it, it, it frustrates me when I see him getting annoyed at other people, not himself. Like yeah. he hit two, three woods out of, very thick rough that went OB and like was kind of looking around for an excuse. I was like, bro, you've tried to hit a ball at a very thick rough with a three wood twice. Mm. Mm. What do you think's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you. And I didn't think personally, I didn't think it wasn't bad at all asking for the ruling and that's Mm. fine. Yeah. But you know, muttering under his breath or not really even under his breath to the point where the camera picked it up, but like yeah. saying what he said about the rules official and, and, yeah. and all that was, you know, that was, <laughs> that, I was, that not was good. Bit, no, that was, yeah. that was pretty average. And, yeah. and I hope that, I mean, like how often has he asked for a ruling anyway? Like he, he's mm. played such good golf. He's had, barely had to have a ruling like in, yeah. in like five years that he's been on tour or whatever That's it's true. been. Like, That's true. Like, but, um, I mean, like the drop, I mean, he kind of patted the yeah. grass down there. That was a little interesting. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah, I'm, no, I did see that. How legal that is? I mean, yeah, you, you're not supposed to, obviously, yeah, he, he did something that wasn't, wasn't allowed really. He, tapped, he improved the lie or the potential lie that, that in the area that was going to drop it. Um, you, can, you can remove loose impediments and all that, but you can't pat down grass, which is what he did. But it didn't look... He kind of, it was pretty smooth and like clever in the way that he did it. So it wasn't super obvious what he was doing and, and it probably wasn't significant enough to really warrant a pen, penalty, but it didn't, it obviously showed that, he, that there was a little bit of intent an intent to improve the lie there. And um, that was fairly clear, but um, yeah, not a good look. No, I think, I mean, look, for, uh, we can bang on about Bryson for ages, but I think where he where he's at and what he's got at his fingertips, right, from a golfing perspective is enormous. His capacity and his capability now to really change golf and break golf mm-hmm. is, is right at his fingertips. He can he could win another three times on tour this year. Like I know we were talking about Wingfoot before and, and yeah. Harding Park and all the rest of it. And it's going to be like, well, you know, maybe the setup won't suit him, but he's driving yeah. the ball long and straight. He, he hasn't done that for, for one week here. Like whatever, that's one week out of yeah. six weeks that we've been back. Like name me a golf course in the world where driving it long and straight is a bad thing. No, hundred like, <laughs> percent. He's going to win again on, yeah. on tour this year. But the attitude kind of frustrates me and it's this vain look at me on social media mm. type thing that that annoys me and it's the, the ego that's going to continue to come with it of 
telling rules officials off and, and thinking the world's out to get him because he's better than everyone and this tall poppy yeah. syndrome that it's mm. like, no, mate, you're the one actually doing the damage to your own brand. No one's out here to get you. If you, if you just treat everybody the way they should be treated on the golf course and don't get up in arms in a golf, in a cameraman's face and don't get your caddy to end up walking in front of the camera and yeah. don't yell at a rules official. Like you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's not that hard, is it? No, it's really not. I mean, I mean, yeah, like I said, we can bang on about Bryson for, for ages, but um, that we can probably draw a line un- underneath him. Yeah, but um, I think that's enough. <laughs> a few, <laughs> a few uh, big name players to, to miss the cut this week. Obviously, Sung Jae Im. Uh, we, we talked about his potential. Um, Wakan Neiman, another great young player. Ricky Fowler. Um, Ernie Els was in the field. Didn't know that until I saw the <laughs> until I saw I the leaderboard. Actually, uh, Cowboy Charles Charles Schwartzel after he wore yeah. his uh, cowboy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was in, amazing. Bryson DeChambeau, obviously, as we mentioned, um, just uh, I mean, coming back to Bryson, but just a little nod. I mean, he shot a seventy six with a ten, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. pretty pretty decent day out. Otherwise, uh, Cameron Champ, Benny Arn, Hideki Matsuyama, and, and Dustin Johnson finishing near dead last. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just rags to riches for DJ, I suppose. Um, yeah. Or riches I watched, to rags in this case. <laughs> when I was watching that, uh, so PGA Tour Live put up that Twitter stream. I think the first hour and a half coverage mm-hmm. was free and it was like yeah. featured groups and stuff. And I think it was the first round. Yeah, it was. Um, DJ, you know, first hole of the day, 10th hole, par four, knocks it over the bunker, you know, 315 yards down there. Perfect. Middle of the fairway. Knocks on the green to, wasn't a great shot, to maybe like 40 feet and mm-hmm. proceeds to four putt um, and it didn't really get any better after that um hit a great shot into the path five next um but yeah there wasn't too many highlights unfortunately for no. dj uh, i think it was 80 80 yes um yeah, so not i mean not when you start your round with double bogey birdie double bogey birdie i think yeah. probably the writings on the wall that it might be a pretty difficult day out on <laughs> the course true. Yeah, it was it was just funny to watch. You'd hit that perfect tee shot, and you're thinking, "Okay, here we go, DJ." And then just five shots later, and he's signed for a double bogey from the middle of the fairway. It was like, "Okay, that's that's him. That'll that'll do him for the week." But uh, <laughs> it seemed to it seemed to be the way. There's no coming back from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably a line under the PGA Tour, unless you had any other takes to bring to the um, table from. Uh, no, not really. Muirfield no, Village. I think that was that was a pretty good wrap up of the the event. Lots lots going on. Very interesting week. I think it is. I feel like there's lots of talking points every week, which is um, mm. which is obviously really exciting. Uh, we'll quickly touch on the European Tour, uh, the Uran Bank Open. Uh, obviously, no Aussie won it, so we won't spend too much time. But Dan Lawson finished T18. And he shared the lead after the opening round, which was really exciting. And uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour, Ryan Ruffles finished T18 as well. So the Aussie's doing some good things on the Corn Ferry Tour, yeah. um, which, is, which has been really good to, to watch over the last few weeks. Yeah, it's good to see Ryan playing some solid golf. I know he... He's sort of his golf's been up and down. I mean, he's been on the tour. He's been a pro now for he's only like 22, but he's on, been a pro for four years, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see him back playing some consistent golf. Um, I think he's about, I think he's just scraped into the top 50 on the Corn Ferry list, but that's now a wraparound season to next year's. So yes. um, no promotions this year. But if he can work his way, I think, into the top 10, he can get some. 
uh, PGA Tour starts on the, the alternate week events. So that'd be cool. That'd um, be awesome. Thing. Yeah, I think with his current form, I think I think it's a good chance. Um, he's playing, seems to be playing solid. Golf's much more consistent. He's just waiting for a really good week. I think it was just it'll come. But um, yeah, he seems like he's had a lot of sort of top thirties yeah. around. You know that sort of ballpark, and he just yeah. needs, needs to go on with it. All four rounds, string them together, and he's in he's in good shape. Exactly right. The PGA Tour uh, heads off to TPC Twin Cities in Minnesota for the 3M Open, six point six million up for grabs. Matthew Wolf, the defending champion, of course, got his first PGA mm-hmm. Tour victory out there. Immensely talented, as we know, but not playing overly great golf at the moment. Now, before we uh, let you go, Lucas, it's obviously very late over in uh, very late over in uh, Victoria there. Um, we can't have you on the pod and not get a bit of an update from you how how things are going, how the preparations are coming along for I suppose Wingfoot firstly, and then uh, and then the Masters in what's going to be very very different um, different circumstances I suppose to to where we were looking at it back in April. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's coming along okay. So I will be departing Australia on August six, so I'm actually getting over there asap. Um, the US Amateur is in mid-August uh, up at Bandon Dunes in Oregon, which is oh, an incredible place. Yeah, so I definitely was uh, keen to get out of the country for that one. Um, and because of uh, Australia's quarantining requirements, um, to return to Australia between tournaments doesn't make any sense because I've got to be in a hotel for two weeks. So mm-hmm. I'm going to stay over there for yep. about three and a half months. Um, so... I have been practicing as much as I can in Melbourne, but um, as some people or most people would be aware, there's a bit of a lockdown in Melbourne at the moment. So we've got pairs on the course, so you can only play in groups of twos. Um, Mm -hmm. All the practice facilities are actually shut as well, so I can't really hit balls or putt or chip or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I've been playing sort of late holes in the day, and that's sort of been my way of hitting a few extra shots on the course, but... Um, it's been tricky. So I'm going to probably try and get to the U S like I said, ASAP and, um, the U S am is going to be my first thing, which I'm really looking forward to. And then winged foot in September, about a month after the U S amateur. Um, and then the masters is eight weeks after the U S open. So, um, all seems to be tracking from, from them. I haven't really heard it. I know the winged foot I just entered. Um, so I'm de- that's definitely going yeah, ahead. It looks like, and, um, haven't heard anything from the Masters to say otherwise. Um, they haven't said anything about crowds or spectators or anything like that, but I'm not sure whether they'll they'll have crowds. I know probably not, none of my friends and family from Australia will be going because it's, at this point, basically impossible to travel from Australia yeah. unless you've got a very, very good reason. So, Absolutely. yeah, I think... Um, I think I'll, I won't really have much of a support support crew there, which is a bit disappointing because... Um, had it happened in April, I would have had, there was 20 members from Metropolitan Golf Club who were going on a trip that happened to coincide with the year um, mm-hmm. that I was invited to the tournament. So <laughs> that would have been incredible. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it'll just be myself, my caddy, and maybe a, one or two people that I know might somehow get in there. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, but obviously looking forward to getting out of Australia and, and playing some competition golf. Cause it's been a while. Yeah. 
Well, it has, and, and hopefully, I mean, look, hopefully it's not your last time at any of these uh, tournaments and we'll be able to get a good uh, crew over there and, and get, get well, behind you, get some support. To, to, tell, to tell you the truth, the, um, the, US amateur, the, the US mid-amateur, because it's not happening this, this year, I'm still the current, or I still will be the current US mid-amateur champion next year. <laughs> now, the, the Masters tournament haven't specified whether I'm getting invited or not or whatever, but their current criteria is, quote, the current US mid-amateur champion. Well, that's next year. So that would be me, I guess, yeah, next year. Absolutely. So we'll see. Hopefully, fingers crossed. That the only event that's actually being held um, that amateurs get invited through is the US amateur this yeah. year. So that really means there'd only potentially be two eligible amateurs there next year. And I know they love the amateurs. So hopefully they've got it in the goodness of them in their heart to give me an invite next year as well. Which well, that'd be nice. That would certainly yeah. be nice. How do you, uh, how do you think a master's tournament and Augusta is going to play differently being in November as, as opposed to April? I mean, yeah. look, obviously uh, Augusta national golf club can't, um, can't control the weather but what they can control is everything that's inside their properties and they do a damn good job of that and you know we did a two-part expo well not an expose a deep dive i suppose on augusta and they are so controlling of what they do over there it's it's almost scary how do you think it's going to play different yeah i mean it's almost surprising that they can't control the weather to be honest Uh, (laughs) they can control everything but um yeah i think uh I think it's actually going to play pretty similar to April. That's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. The rumors I've heard is that, well, not the rumors, but the, the sort of the things I've heard is that April and November are the two most similar times of year. Sure. Um, the difference, the interesting thing I, I think it'll be is I was there in December. I went over for a little practice visit, which was absolutely incredible. Um, but in December, it was pretty cold. It wasn't like crazy cold. I know the day I left, it got a bit colder, but um, the the fairway grasses hadn't fully come through. So they're like a rye grass over so of like a cooch grass. So they're basically like typical sort of Australian course has cooch grass, but they've got it rye over sown. And the rye, because they over it in like September, the rye hadn't come through really thick. So it'll be interesting. I think it'll play a little bit firmer if I'm, going to say just on the fairways it'll roll out a bit more i reckon because yep. the ryegrass won't be in as thick um it obviously depends on the weather if they get really wet weather in the lead up mm-hmm. and then the greens i don't know it's hard to say but i'm sure they'll be awesome i'd say the greens will be pretty similar but yeah i'd say maybe it might just be rolling out a little bit more how did you how'd you practice the tournament or practice a little round Is over it, there go Oh, it was really good. Um, so the first time I was there, so sorry, the first day I was there, um, I played with the assistant pro. Yep. Um, and he was a nice young guy. I think sort of like 28. Pretty good. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we played 18 together and um, just didn't take my phone out of my, like, sorry, didn't take my phone out of my bag, just left it in there and just soaked it all in as, yep. as good as I could. Didn't really keep score, I don't think. I think I, I can't, like, it's hard not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably shot one or two over from memory, but I tried not to sort of keep score. And I just tried to enjoy the experience Augusta, uh, in its purest essence. Um, and then, so I played 18 and then I played nine on the par three course after that, which was amazing as well. Yep. And then the following morning was probably the most surreal experience of my life. Um, it was just me and the caddy yeah. and we went out 
first tea time, I think it was like 7.45, like the dew still on the ground. And <laughs> as we're coming down the second fairway, the dog leg left, we're just walking down there. It's just me and the caddy. Um, just looking, I was like, this is stunning. The, the shadows, you know, the sun was just rising. The light was going through the trees. The dew was evaporating off the turf to, into this like mist. Yeah. And it was like unbelievable. I took, I took a photo. I've got it as my... Um, backdrop on on my on my pc that i'm looking at right now and it's probably the best photo i've ever taken um <laughs> it's just the caddy carrying my bag as he walks down the second fairway with the second green in behind and the, the seventh green behind that and it's just yeah it was that was probably the moment in my life where i've had to kick myself the most to to, to realize that i was actually there oh well you'll be back there playing the big thing in uh yeah. in just a few months time anyway mate and um yeah and we will track your every move i'm sure um from from afar here in perth and, and marshy over in queensland but um mate that was this has been a lot of fun having you as a, as a yeah. co-host uh no i worries. mean look maybe you know definitely more knowledgeable than you and uh, than kieran and i put together mate you are so uh might have to be might have to be a little bit more often that the yeah. that our listeners they're going to get a nice treat to hear some actual uh expert opinions and, and thoughts on uh on particularly Muirfield village um, yeah. that you spoke about so well there mate so thanks for coming on thanks for joining us as co-host and um, best thanks of luck in the preparations uh, no. for, for everything coming your way thanks a lot thanks for having me and uh yeah no worries i, I can happy to come on whenever you feel uh, like having me so uh, thanks a lot drews and uh look forward to to being back on at some point in the future anytime mate